0: So let yourself sit in a way that's at ease. As we come together to meditate, in the course of 40 minutes of sitting, not for each individual, but perhaps collectively in the room, there is most every kind of human experience being felt or imagined or run through the consciousness of meditation. And the idea in the sitting isn't to have a particular experience but to discover this great human capacity for wakefulness and freedom and compassion in the midst of the whole range of our humanity. Over the course of this summer, I am or have been going through a series of teachings um, called the Paramitas, which are the qualities of our inherent nobility or Buddha nature. O oh, nobly born, O you who are the sons and daughters of the awakened ones, remember who you really are. Remember the natural wisdom, the natural compassion the natural generosity that makes up your true nature, your heart. And so we've gone through um, some of these teachings. And this evening, the next in the series of the ten perfections of the heart, um, is the quality of pāṇya, prajna, or as it's translated, wisdom. Now what does it mean, the perfection of wisdom, if one begins to consider it? Does it mean that we have to perfect ourselves? A perfect body at the gym and the
1: uh,
0: plastic surgeon? Or a perfect personality at the uh, psychologists or wherever you go? The drugstore. Somebody said, "Yes, that's right." <laughs> Marion Woodman's title in her one of her um, very fine books uh, on this subject speaks of the, the addiction to perfection of our culture. So, what does perfection mean? Perfecting ourselves. It actually means discovering in, the, in these teachings. It means the discovery of that beauty or perfection that is inherent in every human being. And the perfection of wisdom then is that great wisdom which is universal and eternal and to be found in us in any moment of experience. It's a discovery of that understanding that is here and now. There are uh, a whole series of Buddhist texts on the perfection of wisdom, um, the great texts of the Diamond Sutra, which says, thus shall ye think of this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, an echo, a rainbow, a phantom, a dream, this is one teaching of wisdom, to see with that clarity that things are here in this form for but a moment and then they change or the Heart Sutra which begins fundamentally begins with the teachings that form is not different than emptiness emptiness is not different than form all things are born out of emptiness are created out of emptiness, return to emptiness. It is their nature, like a dream. (coughs) Or the Sutta Nipata, where the Buddha speaks about those who cling to body, feelings, mind, opinions, and views, and who therefore suffer. And those who understand the nature of body, feelings, mind, views, without clinging. Find a freedom, who could alter such a one who does not cling to views of any kind? This is the great freedom. Prajna, wisdom. There's a a text that I speak of, the the, uh, text of complete and perfect wisdom in 80,000 verses that we sometimes chant one syllable of, the summary of that text, the chant that goes, ah, letting go. The reason it's the summary of all the teachings of wisdom is that there is change in the world and the wise heart knows not to cling to the change, but rather to trust or rest in that deeper understanding through the cycles and seasons the joys and the sorrows. So, as the Buddha says, cut through the strap and the thong and the rope and loosen the fastenings and unbolt the doors of the heart and awaken. Awaken to that which is true now and always. If we reflect about wisdom, it's very different than the way we're taught in our educational system about knowledge because in knowledge you gain things and you collect information and it's also different than the kinds of powers that we may have heard about um, in all kinds of spiritual and mystical teachings and traditions somehow thinking, if I have enough knowledge, then I'll be wise. All you have to do is go on the internet, you know, and get one of the good search engines and put in a particular word and get flooded with 50,000 references to that. There's a tremendous amount of information and perhaps knowledge buried in there, but it's not wisdom. Wisdom isn't knowledge. No matter how much you know of chemistry, or physics or sociology or whatever you study it may or may not be together with wisdom wisdom is certainly not powers people confuse that all oh, this great spiritual teacher has all these powers able to do things that are just amazing So, she must be wise I don't know okay. Now those guys can sit naked in the snow at 18,000 feet and they have such powers of mental discipline that if they put their mind to it, hell, they can generate enough heat to melt the snow for 20 feet around those Tibetan yogis. Now you put that Tibetan priest on the mound, naked or not, with a baseball in his palm, and he'll take that power of concentration and make the ball disappear and then materialize down the line in the catcher's mitt. That's my idea of a relief pitcher. (laughs) Knowing your past and future lives and being a great yogi. I met some people who actually had quite extraordinary powers and some of them were quite nice and some of them were really um, unpleasant. (laughs) Because power is really different than wisdom. So if wisdom isn't knowledge that we collect, and it's not power, then what is it? It's said that in this great world, with its beauties, unspeakable beauty, and its tragedies and suffering, with the joys and generosity and gratitude that we feel for what's given to us in this life, the turning of the seasons and the love of those, some of those around us, and the miracle of every tree and leaf. And at the same time, the enormity of ignorance and racism and injustice and greed that the heart, which is the organ of wisdom, knows these apart, knows what is wise in the midst of all of this 10,000 joys and sorrows. Wisdom is discovered or remembered first. Sometimes it's said there's sutamaya panya, the wisdom that comes because we hear it and it reminds us of what we know. And then. Jintamaya Panya, the wisdom that comes through our own reflection and thought and consideration. And finally Bhavanamaya Panya, which is the wisdom that comes from the deepest knowing of the heart, from the one who knows within us. And that's really the goal of meditation, is to come back to this inherent wisdom in ourselves. I tell the story, which I won't do with much detail tonight, of a woman who came to see me because she had all this conflicting advice from a series of different spiritual teachers on real something really important. Well, who should I believe, she said to me, right? As if I was gonna be the answer. No, <laughs> oh, of course you should believe me, right?
1: <laughs>
0: I have the answer. And I said, suppose that all these great spiritual teachers who are telling you conflicting things, which they will, if you pay attention, they do that. Suppose that instead of listening to them, you listened inside to know what is so true in any circumstance of life, that even if the Buddha came along with Mother Mary and, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh and everybody else, and you said this, and they said, it's not true, and you said, yes, I know it is. It wouldn't matter who disagreed with you. You know that to be so true that you can rest your heart in that. What would that be, that wisdom? Very simple. She said, well, everything changes. That I know. And therefore nothing can be possessed or grasped. That's enough wisdom to live a whole life by, if we really <laughs> employ it. Someone else asked this when asked this question says, Whatever point of view I have, I understand there's a different point of view. Another person said, You can't have light without dark, sweet without sour, up without down, joy without sorrow. It is the way of the world. Can you hear how simple wisdom is? From the Tao Te Ching. When people see some things as beautiful, other things become ugly. When people see some things as good, other things become bad. Being and non-being create each other Difficult and easy support each other. Long and short define each other. Before and after follow each other. The Master acts without doing anything and teaches without saying anything. Things arise and she lets them come. When things disappear, she lets them go. She has but does not possess and acts but does not expect and therefore her life is one with the Tao, is wise. So simple, the words of wisdom. And to know the quality of wisdom in ourselves is to come back to a kind of simplicity. This from Mahadevayaka, an Indian saint. She said, I do not call it his sign, and I do not call it becoming one with the sign. I do not call it union, and I do not call it disunion. I do not say something has happened, and I do not say nothing has happened. I will not name it you, and I will not name it I, but now that the white jasmine one is myself, what use for words at all? Just be. Or Ormechtild of Magdeburg. She wrote, a fish cannot drown in water. A bird does not fall in air. In the fire of its making, gold will not vanish. The fire brightens. Each creature divinely made must live its own true nature, as you must. And how can I resist that nature which lives in the sacredness of the divine. Beautiful, poetic, simple. Wisdom isn't accumulated. It's not a matter of the past or the future. It is always now, the reality of the present. Someone asked the great Indian sage Ramana Maharshi, can a yogi know his past lives and future lives? And Ramana Maharshi's eyes got wide and he looked back and he said, already your life has many troubles. Why should you wish to know the past and future lives? Is it so that you may suffer more? (laughs) Discover the eternal truth that is here and now and all your questions will be answered. And then he laughed the laughter of the wise, such simplicity to live in the reality of the present. Because in every moment, which is any moment, which is the present always, there is thoughts about the future. They're just fantasy, and they have their place, but they're not what's so. And there are thoughts about the past, we call them memory, They're not here anymore. It's gone. It's disappeared with the dinosaurs. What is here is here now, always. So simple to be present. From the Buddha, The wind cannot shake a mountain. Neither praise nor blame moves the heart of the wise one. She is clarity, hearing the truth, He is like a lake, pure and tranquil and deep. So simple. Your own wise heart. And you know what it's like to be around someone who's wise. This wisdom. What is wisdom? One of the Buddhist texts says, it is like a lamp that's been overturned, set upright like a light in the darkness, like the sun arising. It's that seeing in the heart, the awakening to the way things are just now. The truth of things. My teacher, Ajahn Chah, used to love to talk about the way things are, or he would use the phrase, it's like this, isn't it? And because he was probably the wisest person I ever met and he had this very joyful and kind of playful sense of humor. Um, but he also would kind of challenge people with his wisdom as they would come and see him, because he would tell the truth. You know, someone would come and say, Oh, this beloved person or this beloved child has died. And he would look at them and say, It hurts, doesn't it? That's all. So simple and just look them in the eye. It's painful, isn't it? The grief of it. And then he'd look around at everyone and say, life is uncertain. You never know. Or someone would come and be really upset and he'd look at them and he'd say, did they make you angry? You know, or they'd be sitting there and say, seems like you're really angry like, oh yeah I guess I am just the obvious and then he'd look a little bit kind of sit there for a bit and say whose fault is that never answer just ask in case you wanted to look and see <laughs>
1: you know
0: or somebody would come who was really sick he'd say oh you look terribly sick how are you doing being sick are you one of those crabby-sick people?
1: (laughs) Are you an easy one?
0: That's all really simple. He didn't even say what you should do. He just kind of point to this is the way things are. Look around and say, I haven't been here in a while. You all look older. (laughs) How's that for you, huh? (laughs) Oh, you lost a lot of money. Hmm. So you lost all your money, what are you going to do? Simple questions from a wise heart. Your stocks are down, now what do you want to do with your life? Very very simple. Wisdom sees from the depth of the heart, it has a, a clarity to it. It listens to the heart, it's not far away. So immediate. We all know this. These words of Ajahn Chah really resonate because we know them in ourselves. I read in the paper in Michigan State, the psychology services of the state office of education developed a program to be implemented statewide for reducing stress levels measured in school-aged children. You know, school's gotten really nutty. Everybody's trying to get into the best colleges and then get into the best graduate schools and, you know, then get the best paying job or whatever it is. Um, And it's not really very good for our children or our culture or our lives. So it said the program centered around the introduction of deep and relaxing breathing for all the children in Michigan schools. But after two months the program was canceled due to a rash of parent complaints that the effect of breathing was producing mystical experiences in other non-Christian states in their children. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. It's not far away, folks. The wisdom of the heart has different qualities to it. It can be spacious, space-like, mirror-like, or it can be mirror-like. The space-like wisdom sees the way things are, it tells the truth, as Ajahn Chah said, it opens the heart to this moment wisely. And the mirror-like wisdom responds with, with, with action. So what is this spacious wisdom? openness. It's so simple, at ease. It's born out of an inner wholeness and clarity to know the seasons of the world and rest in a certain grace. And a friend of mine who's a hospice director said he had this 96 year old woman come into his hospice who was beginning her dying process and she would complain to him. She said, why me? (laughs)
1: come on
0: (laughs) wisdom knows the seasons to everything there is a season a season to laugh and a season to weep and grieve and a season to plant the season to pluck up that which has been planted, as it says in Ecclesiastes. And this quality of wisdom has a joyful heart in a certain way, although we can weep and grieve when necessary. But it has not conflict with this world. It knows this world as it is. It knows that we are here for a certain time, not given to us to measure, And then in the end, we return with the same thing we entered with, that openness, nothing else. So one elderly woman came to see Ajahn Chah in the monastery. She could only stay a little while and it was clear she was at the end of her life. And she said, give me some teachings, Master. And he looked at her and he said, Listen, there's no one here. Just this play of elements. No owner. No one to be old, to be young, to be good or bad. No one to be weak or strong. Just the elements of nature playing themselves out. Empty, appearing and disappearing. No one born and no one to die. Those who speak of death, are speaking the language of children. In the language of the heart, of the eternal dharma, of wisdom, there's no such thing. When we carry a burden, it's heavy. When there's no one to carry it, it's not a problem in the world. Don't look for good or bad or anything. Do not be anything. Oh, it's so nice to hear all those children laughing and playing outside. Let things be as they are and rest where you are. There's nothing more, just this. So simple. So simple. And when you go looking for somebody who's wise when you're having difficulties or trouble or conflict in your work, in your community, in your family, and finally you go to see that wise old aunt or grandfather or person you know, mostly there's just a sense of, ah, you can breathe and yes this is the way things are isn't it and it's alright. The quality of wisdom makes space for things. It knows that the heart is big enough to contain the sounds of the children and the big silence around the sounds that's also here. Always here. The wind cannot shake a mountain. and Neither the joys or sorrows of the world can move the heart of one who is wise. Again from the Tao. Feel your bowl to the brim. It will spill. Keep sharpening your knife. It will blunt. Shafes after security and property, and your heart will never be at ease. They don't say that in the business pages.
1: <laughs> Care
0: about people's approval and you will remain their prisoner. Do your work with love and step back without attachment. This is the true path to serenity. So simple. Do your work with love. Step back without attachment. This is the true path to serenity. When you are content to simply be and don't compare or compete, everyone will respect you and the Tao fulfills itself in your being. The wisdom of the heart sees this great dance of life with its joys and sorrows. It weeps in the sorrows of others. It laughs. But it knows what's true. Like my teacher, Gosananda, the Gandhi of Cambodia, who could say, in the midst of the worst terrible war, look at this crowd of people who'd suffered enormously and say hatred never ceases by hatred but by love alone is healed this is the ancient and eternal law and it was true in Cambodia and it's true in the Middle East in Palestine and Israel and Bosnia and Croatia and Afghanistan it's true in our cities It is the way things are. The thought manifests as deed. The deed develops into habit. The habit hardens into character. The character passes into a lifetime. So watch the ways of thought with care and let it always spring from loving kindness for all that lives. Moment by moment, out of our own thoughts and heart and mind, we create the kind of world that we will live in. We respond to the sufferings and the beauty of the world moment by moment. Wisdom knows this and rests in that place of understanding, no matter what happens. There is a reality to the present, and to live with wisdom, we spend more and more time where we are, with our children, our families, our community, our gardens, the body politic, Wisdom sees the laws of the world, the truth of sorrow, that there is pain. There's gain and loss and pleasure and pain. And that suffering so much of it in this human life is made not by the pain of the world, but by the human response to it, by our fear and ignorance and blaming of others and judgment and hatred and contraction when we get lost in the small sense of self, the body of fear. Wisdom sees sorrow and sees its cause and its end. What is true in your life that just needs to be bowed to, the beauty of it, the pain of it, The truth of it, not struggled with or fought with, just bowed to. When you bow inwardly, it's as if the heart comes to rest. My teacher Ajahn Shah, I remember when he was at our center in Massachusetts, you know, and he was always just asking these simple questions. You know, people, are you suffering a lot? Uh, must be holding on a lot. It's so simple. He said, if you let go a little, you'll be a little peaceful. If you let go a lot, you'll be happy a lot. If you let go completely, you'll be really free. It's up to you. Anyway, we were there one day and wandering about and he turned to Sharon Salzberg, my colleague, and long-time friend, teacher. And he said, Sharon, have you finished with your suffering? I'm testing her. She said, no. Then he said, how can you teach other people you haven't finished with your own? And she looked back at him and she said, well, I know suffering, and I know its cause, and I know its end. And even though I haven't ended it completely, I know enough of that to tell other people how it works. And he just laughed and said, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. (laughs) The space of wisdom is a clear heart, a letting go, a non-possessing, the cloud of unknowing, the don't know mind. It's such a mystery, this life. And wisdom doesn't hold views about it. It's this way or it's that. The heart of wisdom rests in this immediacy and presence, the mystery of birth. If you've ever been to a birth, it's extraordinary and nobody can explain it. Where does another human being come from born out of someone's body? The consciousness in that being. What is consciousness? All these, literally, tens of thousands, hundred thousand books on psychology and psychiatry and so forth, I haven't read any of them that explain consciousness, what it is. How about love? Can somebody really explain what that is? It's so important. It's so central, it's like gravity that allurement that pulls us together, like the planets are held to one another. But what is it? One million species of beetles on this earth. Incredible, huh? A million different kinds of beetles. Why? Little mites that live in the edge of your eye. Always. They're part of the ecology of your body. Just like the mitochondria in your cells, which may well have been some other little separate organism. We just kind of coexist in there, cell by cell. It's quite an amazing system that we got. How did you get into this body? Anybody know? So then the Buddha says, This home is mine. These children are mine. This lover, this partner is mine. These things are mine. Such words are words of folly, spoken by one who does not realize that even this body is not mine. Isn't it true? If it was yours, you could tell it not to grow old.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: If you really owned it, and it would have to listen. Does it listen? How about your mind? Okay, stop thinking. I'm going to meditate now. Give me a little peace. Your feelings. I don't want to feel these things. Sorry. You're going to feel them because they're part of the river of life. And because there's birth, there's death. Because there's day, there's night. And birth is mysterious and death is a great mystery that will come again and again to those around you and then for your turn. And to sit with someone as they die, such an amazing moment when the spirit that animates a being is gone, silent, powerful, like a shooting, like a falling star. Something happens that's illuminated and that you can't put into words. True wisdom is this presence of the heart, to be with things as they are, to love them in all their difficulty and agony and mystery and beauty. the spaciousness of wisdom. And then the mirror-like wisdom, as one great teacher said, wisdom says I am nothing, love says I am everything. Between these two my life flows. Or Kalu Rinpoche, Tibetan Lama speaking, he says, when I understand wisely, I see that I am nothing and being nothing, I am everything, that is all. Wisdom sees and responds. Mirror-like wisdom is the wisdom of compassion, the wisdom of action, seeing the play of the divine, and then sensing the natural response of the heart to the entanglement of beings. It's like that story of a man who's walking out of the grocery store, carrying his bags of food and somebody runs smack into him and he falls onto the ground, the groceries drop and the eggs break and the tomato juice splashes all over his clothes and everything is a mess. And he's so angry and he's about to yell at this person, what is the matter with you running into me like this? Are you blind? But before he can say the words, he looks and sees that the person really is blind and that they too are on the ground with the eggs and the tomato juice and the groceries scattered and in that moment of seeing says oh can I help you up can I pick up your groceries too because we're all blind in some ways the Bodhisattva we talked about wise effort last week which was really the effort to live from this place of wisdom and compassion over and over, discovers the wisdom of the world, the insight that things arise and pass spontaneously, and that we can trust this deeply. And then there is born in us, says this Buddhist text, exceeding compassion for those living beings who do not realize the essence of things, and have not learned to trust. And you will spend your life working for the sake of these beings, but all your meditations have cleansed away any idea that these others really exist separate from you. The mirror-like wisdom that sees the sorrow as our own. Sees the sick and brings medicine. Sees the hungry and feeds them. Sees the poor in spirit and offers the words of understanding. So simple. Sees happiness and responds with joy. This wisdom also can cut through illusion. It's sometimes called discriminating wisdom, the fearless wisdom that speaks of peace in wartime, that says what's happening here and there is crazy, that racism is insane, that trying to wipe out another culture or calling another group of people different than yourself and worse in any way, is poison. It speaks the truth, but always with compassion, with mercy for those who are caught. This from Socrates, Could I climb the highest place in Athens I would lift my voice and proclaim, Citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth? Gosh, even back then. (laughs) And take so little care of your children and those in need to whom someday you must relinquish it all. The voice of wisdom that sees what is needed because it's us. It is us. And from mirror-like wisdom, there are a thousand skillful means. You don't really know what to do in that situation, in work or that conflict or in politics. But if you take a moment and close your eyes and ask your heart, the wisdom of your heart, What would the wisest being I can imagine do? What would the Buddha or what would Solomon or Mother Mary or Kuan Yin, the goddess of mercy, do in this terrible situation? They will come and tell you what they would do and you will know what it feels like. Because the wisdom of Kuan Yin the goddess of mercy and the Buddha is there just a moment away because it is who you really are. So somebody came to me some years ago and said she was having so much trouble with her parents every time she went home what to do. I got the story you know Her parents drank a bunch and they were kind of working class, TV watching, beer drinking, little bit redneck American culture. And she had trouble because she was going home and trying to be a sort of Buddhist nun. She just didn't fit into the family anymore. I reminded her that the Buddha had trouble when he went home with his own parents and that Jesus didn't do very well with his family either. So it's not a new problem. It seems to be part of human nature, isn't it? Hmm? Wisdom. And I suggested when she went back to Detroit or Baltimore or wherever it was that they lived, I said, listen, take off your nun's robes, honey. Just go back in straight clothes Sit down, watch TV, watch the game, and have a beer. (laughs) Love them and don't try to teach them. Oh yes, and one other thing, don't stay very long. (laughs) Two days, maybe three max, then you're out of there. It's not that complicated really, you know, it isn't. We know if we ask inside, what would the Buddha do? I was sitting at the bedside of a woman who was dying of cancer. A wonderful woman had several children who were coming and going. And she had a huge circle of friends. She was one of those people whose work was karma yoga, was service, she was a servant. She had run different organizations and served people in a number of really important ways in the Bay Area. And now that she was dying, they all wanted to be with her and thank her and touch her and, you know. And she said to me, she said, i got a big problem. I said, you're dying, right? She said, well, yeah, beside that. (laughs) It's very interesting, huh? You think that's your only problem, and it's not. I said, what is it? She said, I don't want to see them. I don't want to see anybody. She said, I spent my whole damn life taking care of these people. She said, and i never taken any time for myself, and i got to prepare myself to die, and I don't want to see them. And what can I do? I feel so guilty. All these people I've helped and now they want to come back and see me. So together we composed a letter. And it was really a letter of thanks that she gave them for being able to love them in all the ways that she had. And then she asked for a gift from them. She said, I've never taken for myself solitude. I've never taken for myself time alone and now I'm preparing to die and I really need this and I ask this of you. It was a beautiful letter. So simple wisdom. So simple. The inner heart of simplicity. In dwelling, live simply. In conflict, be fair and generous. In work, enjoy what you do. In your family life, be present. doesn't ask that much. You know, it's like asking the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. Well, how does it begin? Grant me the serenity to accept the things.
1: And the wisdom
0: to know the difference. Thank you to change the things, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. We have in us, in our own wise heart, the capacity to bear witness to the sorrows of the world. And no matter what is present, to respond from a place of deep understanding. It is possible in us. It really is. Perhaps we cannot prevent this world, says Albert Camus, from being a world in which children are tortured. That's a statement, isn't it? But we can reduce the number of tortured children. And if you don't help, who else in the world will help to do this? That's wisdom. It's not given to us to change the whole world, would that we could. But it is given to us to respond to this world with a wise heart and we have this capacity and each of us must find our gift and our way to hold, to respond in a fearless way, to rest in our wisdom and let that be the gift of our life, to live fully and to die at peace. And meditation is so simple, really. It's an invitation for us in this busy and complicated round of life to sit quietly, even with all the inner thoughts and turmoil and feelings, and with some breaths to come back to the heart, the heart of wisdom that says, yes, this is the sorrow and the beauty of the world as it is and yes this is the compassion that's needed to respond to it let's sit for a moment please I was asked this evening to do a prayer, to ask the group to do a prayer on behalf of Devon Loft, a four-year-old girl who died this last week, a few days ago, whose mom, father too, I think comes and sits on Monday nights. Um, She died of cancer, beautiful little child. Um, And to hold her spirit and memory in your heart there is a kind of holiness to grief because it's a place that we love so deeply. So that maybe her death, as I spoke of the week before the death of Natasha Luhan Isaacs reminds us how precious life is and how we don't know. And for them both, first a poem from Zen master Issa, one of the great poets of Japan that he wrote, dew evaporates and all our world is dew, so dear, so refreshing, so fleeting. And this is a poem he wrote on the death of his own daughter. Dew evaporates And all this world is due, so dear, so refreshing, and so fleeting. We have the spirit of those around us for a certain time, their beauty, their gifts. And then they too pass, as we shall. This is the wisdom of life. O nobly born, remember the pure, clear light of your own true nature. Let go into it, merge with it, trust it, it is home. I'd like us to chant the simple word namo, which means to bow to tonight, like the greeting in India, namaste nine times before we go out. And as we chant, you can bow to the parents of these children who have died and their grandparents and their friends, family, and to their spirits, and to all those who've lost family members, to all those who are sick, to all those in difficulty, to all those who have forgotten their way I guess that's about everybody isn't it
1: <laughs> mm. nah
0: hearts be filled with wisdom this week ahead, wisdom and the compassion that springs from it. Thank you.